If you guys have your Bibles, open them up to the book of Luke. What we're going to be doing this morning is uh, is pretty pretty cool. I'm really excited to be preaching uh, as the last person uh, in the 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 unholy trinity of Darius, Jim, and myself. So, um, Pastor Darius, please welcome him up, my really, really awesome, awesome good friend, PD. Hi, guys. Good morning. How are you guys? Yeah, that's almost believable. Uh, That's great. Uh, All right, you guys ready? Okay. So, first question. As Christians, how are we supposed to respond to an enemy you serve them of course right right so in luke 6 27 28 you'll see it on the screen jesus says love your enemies but i say to you who hear love your enemies do good to those who hate you bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. Before we begin, let's pray. Father, we are here and we are listening. Father, move every inch of us away so that your spirit would have its way in us, Lord. Father, we welcome you here. Silence the voice of the enemy so that we may be transformed by your word. Father, we love you and we praise you in your most precious name. We pray. Amen. Are you listening? See, the wonderful thing about God's word is it always, always reveals the heart, the core, almost the epicenter of everything before he compels us to act. He always gives a motivation of why we should do what we're supposed to do. For example, in Galatians 5, 23 through 23, it says, the fruit of the spirit is, everybody know? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. From this, the very core of that fruit is what? Love. From love should pour out all other things. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And for those of you children's ministry workers who are doing the hand motions, I bless you. Thank you so much. Another perfect example is in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 2 says, And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. The core, the epicenter of our spiritual gifts that God gives us is what? Love. So, it's no doubt that in Luke 6, 27 through 28, where he says, love your enemies, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who spitefully use you. Jesus uses four very strong words for us to enact upon. And it's to love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who spitefully use you. What is the epicenter? What is the motivation of these actions? What is it? Love. You see, 
It's amazing because in Greek, there are several words for love. One of them is eros, which is erotic love. Phileo, or brotherly love, or family love. And stergos, or storge, which means a natural affection for those people that you are pretty much good with. Okay? But then there's a certain word in a category in of itself. It's agape love. This agape love is a love that doesn't serve itself, but it extends itself for the sake of another. It's beyond emotion or feeling. It's a totally different category of love that this world had never, ever, ever seen before. It's a love that never was seen, that is, until Jesus came. He showed this love He showed us this love, and we received and continue to receive this love. And I pray that we are infected enough by this love so that we may show the world this love. Amen. How do we serve our enemies through this love? He's very direct. He says, do good to them, bless them, and pray for them. I don't know about y'all, but I have a hard time with this. Number one, do good to them. Y'all, I have a hard enough time doing good for people who like me, let alone doing good for people who hate me. I mean, come on, who has the same struggle? Yes, yes, I like that. Um, (laughs) That's true. You see, but what makes that ever so real is this challenge by God tells us that this doing good is outside of our capacity and our strength. It can only be done through the empowering and equipping of the Holy Spirit as we are abided in Christ. Let me repeat that. This good that we are to do is outside of ourself. It is through the empowering and equipping of the Holy Spirit as we are abided in Christ and in Christ alone. It's not something that you can do on your own. The Bible says there is no one good, not one. So how could we possibly do anything good, right? And now this doing good is not just good as in life essentials, but it is doing good for what is needed for their soul. It kind of reminds me of Jonah. Remember Jonah? Okay, so he was reluctant to preach to the Ninevites because he knew that God would give upon those people, those people, Right, The same mercy and grace that was shown to him. See, but they don't deserve it. Those Ninevites don't deserve it because they are his enemy. Well, after much tribulation, he was thrown overboard, swallowed by a fish, and then vomited onto a shore. Jonah is finally obedient after being reminded and being shown the same grace and mercy, even in his disobedience to God. You see, this doing good is not just a doing good for their needs. It is a doing good for their need of God. Another way to serve them is to bless them. In Greek, the word bless is eulogio. We get our word eulogy from that. It means to speak well of someone. To bless those who curse you means to speak the truth, not a truth, the truth, his truth, in love to our enemies, even while they're cursing you. We do this blessing with our mouth, but it must come from our heart. Perfect example of this 
is in Luke 23, verse 34. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. You see, he says this after being mocked, after being spit on, after being beaten, after being crucified on the cross. And then he pleads for us, for God to forgive us so that we would not be charged for the murder of his son. How else can we serve our enemies? By praying for them. Now, this prayer is not a selfish gain type of prayer where we're convincing God's hand to move to our desires or our will. It's not praying to God to give our enemies what we think they deserve, but it's praying to God in humble submission that he will do in them through his will for their life. Let me repeat that. It's praying to God that he would have his way in them. Not your way, his way. It's asking God to grant them repentance for the forgiveness of their sins. It's asking God to prevent them from continuing their evil deeds because their attitudes and their actions are harming not only others but themselves as well. Perhaps it's pleading to God that our enemies would see that the things that they're doing are wrong. It's not to avenge ourselves, brothers and sisters, because we know that God will avenge us. He's the one to bring them to repentance, and he's the one to bring them to the realization of what they're doing. But it is to pray for them that God will do what he's going to do in them. This was a difficult two verses for me because as you prepare, you ask God, reveal to me the kind of love that is required for me to love my enemies. And in doing so, God responded to me by having me take a look at the enemy. Realizing who the enemy is. See, an enemy is a person who is actively opposed or hostile to someone or something an opponent, an adversary, a combatant, and a challenger. It's beyond that guy, you know, that guy that's driving really slow in front of you at a 45 and you're trying to get somewhere. And he, Yeah, it's beyond that. It's beyond that rebellious little kid that's not doing what you want him to do. It's beyond that. An enemy is one who is against you and opposes you constantly. They are relentless in their opposition of what you are trying to accomplish. I came from an emotionally and physically abusive home. See, for me, my dad was my greatest enemy. You see, he deserved punishment in my eyes because he was the one that was preventing me from doing what I was supposed to do, from being what I'm supposed to be. And then I realized I bought into the delusion what we have all been blinded by, the delusion that our biggest problems live outside of us rather than inside of us. 1 John 1.8 says this, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. The truth of the matter is, I am no better than my worst enemy. In order for us to go forward with what has to be done by us, we have to realize what has been done for us. Romans 5.10 says this, 
For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. You see, the natural man is constantly hostile to God. I was his enemy. You were his enemy. But because of his love for us, he served me by saving me. He served you by saving you. He loved us to the point of death on the cross. He blessed us by taking the wrath that was owed to us as the price of the sins that we've committed. That wrath that made our Savior tremble in the garden during prayer and sweat beads of blood and saying, this wrath is so big, Father, that if you could let it pass, then let it be so. But if not, let it be according to your will. Do you see that cup of wrath? We deserve. That was our cup of wrath. But he blessed us by taking that cup. And then he pleads to his Father to forgive us. He did good by taking our place on the cross. You see, we are supposed to be hanging on that cross. Not him. We are. And the most beautiful thing is he prayed and continues till now, to this very day. He prayed and continues to pray for us. Christ is not content until every single one of his children are in his arms. He constantly prays for you. His prayers that were here on earth are an echo of his prayers in heaven, advocating, interceding, constantly praying for you. You see, our nature is to repay like for like, hate for hate. But Jesus says, no, repay hate with love. A.W. Tozer says this, Jesus Christ, our Lord, surrendered in order that he might win. He destroyed his enemies by dying for them, and he conquered death by allowing death to conquer him. You see, we must realize that these things that Christ asks of us are not just to be done by us, but because they have been done for us. And we ought to do the same. You see, we love our enemies by serving them. We do good to those who hate us. We bless those who curse us. And we pray for those who spitefully use us. Now I'd like to welcome Pastor Jim, who's going to talk about loving our enemies by suffering in silence. Good morning, church. I'm Pastor Jim, number two of the unholy trinity. But in all reality, the three of us are in harmony because we actually wore the same colors without even talking to each other. It's nice to see your lovely and beautiful faces this morning. You know, you guys are really good-looking people, I must say, okay? You know, I'm just saying. This morning, we're going to continue looking at uh, loving our enemies, and we're going to continue in Luke chapter 6. And our focus in this session will be on verses 29 through 31. And the title that's been given to this section uh, is Loving Our Enemies Through Suffering and Silence. And 
as Pastor Darius has laid uh, the foundation of loving our enemies, we see that Jesus in his teaching, not only does he give his listeners instruction, but he also gives them the how-to, the action, the practical steps to take in order to show love to our enemies. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't have a problem at all loving my enemies or praying for my enemies from a distance. But that's not what Jesus is asking us to do, is he? If you look uh, in this passage here in verses 29 through 31, Jesus says, To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And just as you do want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. And this morning, these verses, there's, there's a lot in these verses that, for time's sake, we don't have time to dissect them. But I'm going to present to you this uh, application of teaching. But you notice that there is a common thread in these verses that we're looking at this morning. And that common thread is, is you and me. Actually, if you could take one word to describe this section, it would be sacrifice. It would be a sacrifice of yourself. And that's what Jesus is calling us to do, is to make a sacrificial love, an action of love, the same unconditional love that he showed you and I on the cross. And I love the title to this portion of teaching, Loving Our Enemies Through Suffering and Silence. And when you think about the suffering and silence, you think of who? Jesus, right? Throughout the scripture and the gospels, when Jesus was being falsely accused, it said that he kept silent, which was prophesied by Isaiah in chapter 53 when he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. And so suffering and silence to me speaks to me in a different way. Um, and it's not a mistake that I'm up here teaching on this passage here this morning. In all honesty, when I first read this passage years ago, I really had a hard time really taking this in. Um, some of you already know my testimony. Um, I, was, I came to the Lord through a tragedy. Uh, a couple days before Christmas, get that middle-of-the-night phone call that you don't want to get, you know, like 2 in the morning, and you know something's wrong. Um, and just to hear that my mother was, was dead, but also to find out later that she was murdered. And so right away my thoughts were not so much, you know, sorrowful. They were there. But my emotions carried me away to a lot of anger and hatred. And I actually plotted a plan how I was going to get revenge. And so these thoughts went through my head for a couple of days. And on Christmas Day, I didn't know this, but uh, there was some crazy Christians praying for me. And I came to Christ on Christmas Day. But as I was growing in the Lord, the Lord began to peel away the, just the junk that was in my life. And he confronted me one day, just kind of like Nathan. Remember Nathan when he confronted David and said, you're the man, David. Well, God did the same thing to me. He said to me, you know, you have murder in your heart. And I'm like, whoa, murder in my heart? He goes, yeah, you have a plot of revenge that shouldn't be there. And I did. And the Lord began to show me. And we went back and forth on this. This was a struggle for me, honestly. And I thought, and I argued with the Lord. You ever argue with the Lord? You can never win. It's just, it stinks. You never can win. But I argue with him because I thought my thoughts were justified. I'm saying, you know, this is not just stealing a loaf of bread. This is murder. I think I have a right to be angry. I think I have a right to feel the way I feel. And the Lord said, no, you need to forgive. And I said, you got to be kidding. Forgive? I don't think so. 
And I, I actually confronted the Lord and said, okay, Lord, give me one good reason why I should forgive and love my enemies. And he said, okay, my love extends to my enemies or else you wouldn't be here. Okay, give me two good reasons why I should not or should love my enemies. Now, at that point, I had to surrender. God had me cornered. I knew that I couldn't do anything more but to surrender my life to him completely. And so he took me through these steps, and I'm going to share them with you this morning because I know, and I've been praying, we've all been praying, that um, I'm sure there's some of you that can relate to this, a lot of you maybe. And I'm going to share just quick three steps that God took me through. Number one was Pastor Darius already shared that was to pray. And so I began to pray for my enemy. Lord, bring fire down and destroy my enemy. <laughs> and I did. I really had this attitude of prayer. And God said, no, that's not going to cut it. And I said, well, how do I pray for my enemy when I have this hatred? And he said, pray for salvation. And so I began to pray for salvation. And it started giving me a little bit more compassion. And it started softening my heart. And I could slowly feel that hatred starting moving away from me, which led me into the next step, which is the hardest one for me. He says, now I want you to forgive. I said, man, I don't know if I can do that. He said, you need to forgive. And through his word, like he faithfully does, we're going to put it up on the screen, Matthew chapter 6. And this one hit me right between the eyes, verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive you your trespasses. And that freaked me out because I thought, great. I mean, if I don't forgive, I'm going to lose my salvation. And the Lord spoke to my heart, no, that's not what I'm saying. He says, this is a hindrance for you. And it's affecting your intimacy with me. And you need to let that go. And after I could figure that out and finally realize that I needed to forgive, and I truly did forgive, that led me to the last step. The Lord said, now I want you to surrender your burden. And I love the Lord's heart. I mean, I love what Peter said. He said that we could cast all our cares upon him because he cares for us. And he does. He truly does care. Or else he wouldn't allow us to go through what we go through and take us through what he take, takes us through. But what was the, the final nail in the coffin that really hit me between the eyes was Romans chapter 12. Verses 19 through 21, Paul writes, says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And this message, this verse here spoke to me the most. And it wasn't so much what Paul was saying, but it was what he was quoting out of Leviticus and out of Deuteronomy, where it says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And the way I understood this verse is I felt like I was this cheerleader at a football game, and I was saying, yeah, go, Lord, you get them. You'll do a better job than I will kill them. <laughs> but that's not what God was saying in this verse. He says, I say this verse because vengeance is a burden, and I don't want you carrying it anymore. And that really broke my heart. He says, you leave it up to me how I will repay realizing that his pay is not like I would, you know. His pay is probably going to be more like, like he did for me, breaking my heart and bringing salvation. 
Now, in case you're wondering what happened to my enemy, who once was my enemy, well, this coming Christmas is going to be 40 years, and this person's never been caught. And I'm okay with that. I'm perfectly fine with that. And it's only because God has walked me through this trial and how to love my enemies. And when I do reflect on it, I always think what Pastor Darius mentioned, Jesus on the cross when he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And I combine that with what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, when he said that the, the, spirit of the, one, the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in me, I come to realize that I don't really have an excuse not to love and forgive my enemies. Actually, neither do you. And so this morning, that's been my prayer for, for you and for me. Even though I don't know who this person is, I truly believe that someday that I will see him face to face because I want him to know that I do forgive him. But if that never happens, that's okay. I have peace with God and knowing that he's going to carry it out how he sees fit. But this morning, I do want to plead with you, and I'm going to ask one favor of you. Now, I don't know if you guys have an enemy like I did. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's someone who's wronged you. Maybe you've been hurt or abused, whether it's by a parent or a friend or a family member, you know, and so does God. But I'm going to ask you, I'm going to beg of you, if I have to, that you don't leave this place without surrendering that and putting it at the foot of the cross. And listen, if you need help with that, I'll be up here at the end, and there'll be other pastors who will love to pray for you and help you to get through this, because it is a burden, and it is hindering your relationship with the Lord. So that leads us up to our next part of our message, which is loving our enemies through showing mercy. And I'm going to invite Pastor Kyle to come on up. Morning. Um, So Pastor Darius uh, started us off with our response as Christians to uh, loving our enemies. and, And he started off, well, we should love them through serving them through prayer and taking things before the Lord. Um, and then as Pastor Jim um, spoke, his was loving them through suffering in silence. And I have the, the honor and privilege of talking uh, to you guys this morning about um, just the Lord's heart for, towards, uh, towards us in the way that he shows us mercy and the way that she shows us uh, forgiveness. And so uh, we'll be in Luke chapter 6, verse 32 through 36. It says this, but if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the most high for he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. Not an easy uh, topic to, to preach on. How many of you guys have struggled with unforgiveness or holding a grudge or being wronged? And uh, how, many, how many of you are like me and have struggled with that before? So the rest of you guys, either one of two things, cheer up, you will, <laughs> or you're lying. Um, because I think one point or another in our lives, um, someone has wronged us, or we've been on the receiving end of something um, unforgivable maybe, 
And so um, as, as Pastor Darius, Pastor Jim, and myself sat down and prayed together this week, we knew that the Holy Spirit was going to be speaking. Uh, we, we can stand up here confidently knowing that unforgiveness is something that we struggle with and that people struggle with. And so uh, we already know that God is going to do amazing things um, in and through his word um, this morning. And so I'm asking you guys just to prepare your hearts for what God might want to do in your heart. Um, Because I think if we're honest with ourselves, this is something that we can all glean from and that we can all be transparent um, with the Lord because he sees all anyways. And so uh, ask the Lord, as as David asked in the Psalms, God, you search my heart, find those wicked ways in me, and you stir those things up. Um, the last thing that we want is to have those uh, bitter roots deep down inside because Jesus can't work with that. And so um, let me pray for us. Let me get into the text. Father, we love you. God, we need you. God, speak in and through me. Lord, I pray that I would uh, decrease, Lord, that you would increase, Lord, and your word would go forth with power. Lord, we already know, Jesus, we already know because of your goodness that lives will be changed this morning by your power. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So what does Jesus say in this text? He says, love your enemies, lend to them, do good to them, pray for them. Even if they're unthankful and evil. And last but not least, he says, be merciful because I'm merciful. So we want to be Christians, right? Is that why we come to church? Is that why we want to grow in the admonition, we want to grow in the image of God, right? Is that why we come to church? Hopefully. Yes? I like response, so sorry, I'm just speaking. I know, Justin, you got my back. But uh, when I speak to high school students, I normally ask questions and they respond, and so that helps me. So if anything, you're helping me. Um, if you sound weird, that's cool. It's for me. It's not for you. So, um, but do we want to grow in the, in the image of God? Okay. You want to be Christians. You want to be followers of Jesus, Correct. Okay, that means, listen, we must be merciful. We must be forgiving. It's not an option. And in fact, to act outside of that, so to be unmerciful and unforgiving is to act outside of the will and the, and the character of God. And the Bible says that, that grieves the Holy Spirit. Go to Ephesians, actually it'll be up here on the screen. Ephesians chapter four says this. Verse 30 through 32, I promise it'll be, there it is. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit. So it's not like, it'd be nice if you wouldn't, but it says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So we want to be Christians. We want to be followers of Christ. Let me ask you this question. Are we ready to be a true follower of Jesus? And if if we want to say yes, and if we are gonna say yes, then we must put off the grudges. We must be merciful. We must forgive, not because they deserve it rather, but because Jesus forgave us when we didn't deserve it. Amen? So what is the definition of mercy? So definition of mercy is is defined this way, and it says this, compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or to harm. So what's the, the definition of forgiveness? Well, I would define it this way, giving up resentment. So that's choosing to give it up, give up resentment, 
against someone and your right to get even no matter what has been done to you. Wow. I don't know. Well, I do know. I cannot say that I'm capable of these things apart from the saving work of Jesus in my life. I am grateful and thankful that Jesus forgave me, a sinner, um, a liar. This is who I was pre-Jesus. And by God's grace, he saved me, not because I deserved it, not because I had awesome childhood, not because I went to seminary, which I haven't, but not, not because any of these things, God's forgiveness for me and for you is solely based on Jesus and Jesus alone. We do not deserve forgiveness. In fact, what the Bible says is our, the best things in the, in the world that we could possibly do, our righteousness is as filthy rags. And I don't wanna be gross, but when he talks about filthy rags, it's the most vile thing you can possibly think of. That is what he's talking about there. Our best day is as worse as, as anything in the entire universe in and of ourselves. So therefore, it helps us to understand mercy and forgiveness when we look at it in light of how much Jesus has given up to forgive us. It's only there that we can begin to even process through how we can possibly forgive others when we've been wrong or we've been hurt. Or like Pastor Jim, when his mother has been murdered. Or Pastor Darius, you know, when he, when he had this relationship with his father and there was abuse in the home. Or myself, growing up, living from house to house, the rehab program to my grandparents' house, you know, back and forth, back and forth, because my dad decided to be a drug addict and my mom decided to be a drug addict. And, and it's grace and grace alone. As the only, that's our common ground for forgiveness and mercy. It's not because of us, but it's because of him. So to forgive somebody to show mercy towards someone as is, as is instructed of us in the scriptures here, it's to look past ourselves. It's to look past our hurts. It's to look past our pain. And if we sit and dwell on those past hurts and those past pains and the way that we've been wronged, if we sit and dwell on the past, then it's going to ruin the future that God has for you. Are you thankful that you're not, well, let me put it this way, because I can't speak for you, but I can speak for myself. I'm thankful that I'm not the man I was 10 years ago. Actually, February marks, or September 2007, marks the day that I truly gave my life to Jesus and I started following him. I'm thankful of the progress that's happened over the last 10 years. I'm thankful for the forgiveness that my wife has shown me that I've been able to show others. That's only done through God's saving grace in my life. And if we were to sit and look back in the way that we've been hurt in the past, then that's gonna ruin what God has for us in the future because we start basing um, our worth and, our, and other people's self-worth based on the mistakes. And I don't know about you guys, but what we like to do is we like to compare our, our worst days with everyone else's highlight reel. We do this with social media. Right? So we have, uh, being a high school pastor for the last 10 years, you know, we have these high school girls and high school guys that post things on, on Facebook. or not, That's what? What's Facebook with a high school kid? They're like, is that something? Is that like MySpace? Um, but they post things on, on the Instagram, right? 
and, and, and they're, what they're doing is they're posting their best angle, their best shot, the prettiest picture, the way they have the best six-pack. Um, you won't see any pictures of me per se in the six-pack department. But what we do is we post because we want people affirmation. We want people you know, to love us. And we base everything off of the best of the best, right? Our deepest, darkest moments, we say, well, they don't compare to that Instagram post that's got a bazillion likes or whatever. And we begin to do this with forgiveness. We base um, what we know of them to be evil, to be terrible, to be bad, how they've wronged us, how they've hurt us, how they've murdered our, our family members. We base their deserving forgiveness off of their merit. But if we take that same token and we look at ourselves and we base the forgiveness that we've received based off our merit, it doesn't compute, does it? We don't deserve forgiveness no more than the murderer does. As Pastor Darius said, or Pastor Jim said, he said he had murder in his heart. And according to Luke or Matthew chapter five, Jesus said, it's the same. If you murdered someone in here, you might as well take a hatchet to the guy. It's the same thing. So we can't base our forgiveness off of our merit because if that were the case, none of us would be forgiven. In fact, we'd be on a fast track to hell. But God demonstrates his own love towards us. Now, while we were enemies, while we were still sinners, what did Christ do? He died. He gave up his life so that we could have life. And so we have, when we think of forgiveness, we have to start thinking of it in terms of how Jesus has forgiven us and not whether if people are, are, are deserving of forgiveness because newsflash, they're not. Neither are you, neither am I. When we hold on to our grudges and our hurts and our pains and our deep-seated wounds, we define our lives by our past. But when we learn to give them to Jesus, he begins to take those, those deep roots, and he starts to dig them out. And it's painful and it hurts. And I don't speak from a platform here with no experience you know, I could go in for hours on the, my past and my childhood and all of that kind of stuff. But if I were to sit and define my life and who I am as a man based off of how I was raised, I would just be feeling sorry for myself. God's, God, God's not interested in me feeling sorry for myself. It's a miracle that I stand before you today with breath in my lungs and life in my body and able to speak. Funny story, uh, I had a student that went to Calvary Murrieta uh, and, and his mom was like, hey, you should go speak at their chapel. So I was like, okay, you know? And so she's like, I'm gonna talk to the principal, right? So the principal, who was the principal when I was there, uh, they, they go and talk to him and some of the office ladies. They're like, oh, my youth pastor, my son's youth pastor should come and speak at your chapel. And they're like, oh yeah, what's his name? And they're like, Kyle. They're like, ah, they start laughing, right? Because they were like, wait, the same Kyle that went here 12 years ago? Unfortunately, that was me. I was not known as uh, most likely to preach the Bible. That was not in my yearbook tab. Um, yeah, not so much. So when, when we stop and we let go of these grudges and we let go of these, these past hurts and our deep-seated wounds and our pains, we will begin to define our lives by the saving grace of Jesus Christ in our lives. So how can you possibly forgive somebody? I can say these really inspiring words but unless I, unless I give you some sort of application, some sort of take home, I know for me, it leaves flat. So 
Look at, I have it up here on the screen, but Luke chapter 17, Jesus is walking with his disciples and he begins to tell them a story. He begins to tell them a story about how this person just goes and hurts you 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 over and over again. And, and the disciples are like, well, what are we supposed to do with that? And Jesus says, I want you to forgive them seven times. Just keep forgiving them. And their response, here, I actually have it up on the screen here. Um, their response is this. And go to the next slide, please. And his response is, the apostles said to them, Lord, increase our faith. And so the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by its roots and be planted in the sea and it would obey. The disciples' response to someone who keeps backstabbing and manipulating and lying and slandering, the disciple, or Jesus' response to how we are to treat them is to forgive them and to forgive them again. And so what do the disciples say? Lord, increase our faith. So that tells me that there's faith required to actually forgive somebody. So we need to start praying, God, increase our faith. And I don't know your situation, I don't know what you're struggling with or the relationship that you are are, are bitter against, but God knows and you know. So the prayer that begins to happen this morning in your hearts is God, increase my faith. Make me more like you. That's why, that's after all, that's why we're here at church, right? We want to become more and more like his son. Increase our faith. And I love the symbolism of the tree. The mulberry tree is known for its deep roots. And I don't think it's a coincidence that Jesus would be talking about these deep-seated hurts and pains and how we are to forgive people. And he ties it in with the mulberry tree who's got deep, deep roots. But he says, look, what's needed for all those deep roots to be pulled up is a little bit of faith in me. And it's not the amount of faith, but it's, but it's who the faith is in. Jesus says, have faith in me. I will take care of it. You need to have a faith that says, God, I don't want to do this, Lord, but I'm gonna take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ because I know I need to do this. You need to have faith that says, Lord, it hurts. I've been wronged. I don't even know how I'm gonna do this. The faith that just honest with God and God will re- respond. He'll say, you know, I'll do it, but you have to fully give it to me. I didn't die so you can carry your own sin and your own grudges and your own deep-seated hurts and pains. I died so that I could take those. This morning, there's no doubt that some of us need to lay down some deep-seated hurts and some pains and some grudges that have been holding us back from the life that God wants wants us to experience. Jesus came to give us life and life more abundantly. What the enemy came to do is to kill, to steal, and destroy. And there's no better place, there's no better avenue that he wants to do than to to have a relationship that you're bitter at. Because if he can get between you and somebody else, what was Jesus' greatest command? He says, I want you to love me, and then what? Love others. Paul said, as much as it depended on you, I want you to have peace with everybody. This is our response. People's forgiveness is not based, or, or forgiveness is not based off of anyone's merit. It's based off of what Jesus has called us to as followers of Christ. Pray for faith. Pray for the faith that says, Lord, I can't do this, but God, I know you can. 